This is God's word. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. We're thankful for these Ten Commandments, which we are considering that you have given unto us. We ask, Father, now that you would, through your Spirit, open our hearts and our minds to help us see the goodness of the gospel, even in this commandment, and how you make us your own as your covenant people. Father, for those who have no faith, I pray that you would stir it up, that you would encourage them, that you would open their spiritual eyes to see the truth of the gospel, and that they would make Christ their own Lord and Savior and receive him and rest upon him alone. For those that do have faith, I pray that you would encourage them and build them up, that you would strengthen them, that you would help them to lay aside the doubts and the cares and the concerns but look solely to the Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, you have probably heard, uh, if you've read about the Ten Commandments or heard preaching on the Ten Commandments or studied them, you'll probably heard them referred to often as two tables of the law, right? And uh, that there are, are two parts of the law of God. Now, that does not mean that half of the Ten Commandments, which were engraved on those, those stone tablets that God gave to Moses at Sinai, it doesn't mean that half of them were written on one and half on the other. In fact, being the Ten Commandments being a covenant charter would have followed the typical practice where the entire charter is written in two copies. One is given to each party of the covenant. And that's exactly what happens with the Ten Commandments. God takes a copy. It is placed in the Ark of the Covenant. And a copy is given to the people of Israel to remember them. Also, when we speak of two tables of the law, we do not mean that one is somehow more important than the other. So you, you don't take the first four commandments and say, well, they're directed towards God, so they are more important than the last uh, five through ten. No, they are all important. They're all part of God's word. They all point us to God's truth, and we need all of them. What we mean when we speak of the two tables of the law, is what Jesus says in his summary of the Ten Commandments. In Mark 12, Jesus summarizes the commandments like this. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So commandments one through four deal with loving God and commandments 5 through 10 instruct us on how we love our neighbors as ourselves. And this morning, as we come into the fifth commandment then, we're beginning that section on loving our neighbors. But remember, remember this, in doing this, we are also showing our love and gratitude towards God for redeeming his people from their sins. So God sets the tone then for the second table of the law with this fifth commandment. And what is it about? It is about submission to the authorities God places 
in our life. In fact, the big idea of this commandment is that God orders his world in such a way that he places authority and submission to that authority is then by God's design for our flourishing. What we learn about God, what the, the fifth commandment reveals to us about God is that God establishes order in the world and he does that through authority. You can see that in his creation. In his creation, he hardwires in the principles of authority to maintain and preserve the order that he has created. And we see this in what is called often the dominion mandate. Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and, every, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And dominion, of course, speaks to authority. In making man in his image and giving him dominion over the earth, God is appointing him uh, like a vassal king. God being the high king, saying, I'm giving to you as the vassal king the authority over all my creation. And so from the fish of the sea to the birds of the air and even over each other as humans, God has given us this authority to maintain his order. And so the point is then, this principle of authority existed before the Ten Commandments was written. It existed in creation. God as our creator has established himself as our supreme authority to whom we all owe all honor and praise. And mankind, being made in his image then, reflect that authority as well. But as we come to the fifth commandment, we might be tempted to think, well, the only authority structure that is in view here is parents and children, or the home. But the scope of the fifth commandment goes far beyond just the home. And so we got to ask the question then, well, why does he just mention fathers and mothers? If he means all kinds of authority in the world, why fathers and mothers? Well, there's several reasons for it. We're going to consider two, and then we'll look at another in a minute. Uh, but first of all, the commandment says, honor your father and your mother in the Lord, or honor your father and mother. And the reason that we are told about fathers and mothers is because they are the very first human authorities that we know and relate to and experience when we're born into this world. Now, it's true that not everyone knows their biological parents, right? Not everyone has a father and mother who was the ones who brought them into this world. But the reality is that all of us had somebody that served in that parental role, that role of parental authority, be it grandma or grandpa or aunt and uncle or an adopted mom and dad. And it is that first authority that we see that teaches us that there are structures of authority in this world. So as we grow as children, we realize that. We realize that God has not left this world to this chaotic, disordered sense where we all dominate over one another, but no, his desire is for structure and good order through authority. Now, 
It is true that that experience in the world with authority is often marred by sinful abuses of it. But that doesn't diminish or dismiss the reality that authority does exist in the world. The second reason fathers and mothers are as listed here in this fifth commandment is that they are representative then of all authority relationships. So we come into a world where authority exists. We understand that through fathers and mothers. And then we begin to realize that those aren't the only authority relationships in our lives. So besides our parents, we begin to understand that there is civil authorities, presidents, kings, senators, mayors, judges, the police. And we understand then that we have relationships to all these authorities, that they are all given to us by God to provide order and structure in the world. In fact, we know those words from Romans 13 uh, that Paul gives us regarding civil authorities. He says, for rulers are not a terror of good, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. And you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So the fifth commandment governs the authority, not just in the home, but also of the civil world. But there's other authorities as well. One of those is in the church. God has made the church in general to be an authority over our lives as believers, as God's people. So Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15, he says, If I delay, uh, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. And what he's getting at there is that God has designed the church to uphold the truth of God's Word. Now, that does not mean that the church does that perfectly, but what he's saying is that it is to be the guardian of God's doctrine, of His truth, of, his, of what is the gospel. And it is that reason that God has given us and directed us as a church throughout history to formulate confessions and creeds to help guard us against doctrinal errors. They keep us walking within the lines of biblical orthodoxy. And for that reason, they are sometimes even referred to as a subordinate standard of the church, meaning that the Bible is our ultimate authority of faith and practice, but these other doctrinal standards communicate to us with authority what is true and right regarding God's Word. But in addition to the church in general, through her confessions and her creeds, God appoints elders as spiritual shepherds with authority over the church to lead her and to guide her. So Paul tells Titus in Titus 1 
This is why I left you in Crete, over the church there, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so elders are to lead with gentleness and uphold the discipline of the church with kindness and point God's people to the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. God has also ordained deacons as an office of service to encourage and admonish and lead the church in being charitable and loving. And so then, this fifth commandment, to honor our father and mother, reveals to us that God indeed has established order in this world through the authorities that he ordains. And within those structures of authority, when followed, the command implies that both those who have oversight and those who follow them will grow and flourish and enjoy God's creation and his decency and his order. Which brings us to a second thing that we need to think about when it comes to the fifth commandment. So it reveals to us that God is a God of order. He uses authority to uh, structure that order and keep it. What then does this commandment require of us in the maintaining of that order? Or to put it another way, what is this weighty manner of honor to whom honor is due that is implied from this commandment? What are the duties it calls for? What are the sins it prohibits? Now, we have to understand that there are at least two groups of people with corresponding duties and prohibitions that are implied here in the fifth commandment. There are those, of course, who hold these positions of authority over others, and there are those who are under them. And so they both have corresponding duties towards one another and sins that are prohibited. Now, if you read a lot about the Ten Commandments, especially in uh, some of the older Reformed writings, they will use a term for these two groups that probably is a little bit offensive or sounds a little cringe to our modern ears and sensibilities. But they're good words when we understand what they are, so I'm going to use them. These two groups are referred to as inferiors and superiors. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, first of all, we don't mean uh, that some people have more worth or more value than others. We all have the same dig dignity as God's creation being made in his image. We are not to think of ourselves as more valuable than another. In fact, that would be a violation of this commandment. But, but... We do know that it means that there are those who are placed in a role and a responsibility over others. Another thing we don't mean by these terms is that uh, inferiors are somehow incapable or not as skilled as carrying out the roles and jobs and responsibilities of superiors. In fact, Anyone that's worked a job at any time in their life will probably tell you that there were those who could do the job better than their boss. Uh, we've all probably experienced that. That's not what we mean when we speak of these two terms. We're not talking about ability or worth. What we mean is that God, again, has brought about order and structure in society and family and the church and he so orders that by appointing some people into positions and roles of authority according to his wisdom over others with certain responsibilities towards them. 
and he has appointed others, the inferiors who are under them, with another set of responsibilities and roles. And you can be both at the same time. I mean, if you are a parent with young children, you are a superior over your children who are inferiors, but you're also an inferior as a citizen of this country. You have civil authorities who are over you. And so when we think about the duties and the sins then, we have to think about it in this way, that there are sins and there are duties between these two groups. The Hebrew word translated honor in Exodus 20:12 helps us to understand the duties that we owe to each other as both superiors and inferiors. To honor in Hebrew literally has to do with weight. In other words, inferiors are called to consider the weightiness of their superiors and then respect that position. And superiors need to consider the weightiness of the position God has put them in, that he has granted them, and use it not for their own gain or glory, but for the good of those who are under them. Now, as inferiors, that doesn't mean that we need to agree with the actions and policies of our superiors in order to honor them. I mean, your governments or even your boss at work may be completely inept in fulfilling their roles and their duties. But that doesn't excuse us from honoring them for that position they hold. In fact, there are times we know in Scripture when it is good and right to resist those authorities because they tell us to do something that is contrary to God's Word. And as we see in Acts 4, it is better to obey God in that case than man. But we still are to respect that position of authority. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, who's the emperor he's talking about? Probably Nero. And if you know anything about Nero from history, you know he wasn't the greatest emperor even by Roman standards for emperors. I mean, he was a persecutor of the church. He put Christians to death. And yet Peter says, honor him. Respect the office. Recognize that God has placed him in that position to fulfill God's purposes in the world. And so honoring our superiors then is not based on how moral they may be or how able they are to fulfill their responsibilities. It's based instead upon the principle of authority that God has ordered the world in such a way as to establish those with authority over others. The Heidelberg Catechism has this beautiful answer, as it often does, to the question of what is the of what does the fifth commandment require of us as inferiors to our superiors? And it says this, that I show honor and love and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all who are set in authority over me, that I submit myself with respectful obedience to all their careful instruction and discipline, and that I also bear patiently their failures, since it is God's will to govern us by their hand. 
Now, turning to those who are superiors, those with positions of authority, they have requirements that are implied by this commandment as well. In fact, we see them again in these titles of father and mother. How are fathers and mothers supposed to raise their children? What is supposed to govern it? Love and tenderness and care and affection. So those who have positions of authority are to not lord over those who are under them, but care for them, show love towards them, be generous towards them, be kind towards them, be patient with them as they instruct them and lead them. Parents are to provide and protect for their children. Those in positions of authority ought to be careful to guard those under them from harm. And so the neglect of these duties then, whether we have authority or we are under authority, the neglect of these duties is what the commandment considers to be sin. And it's manifested in so many ways throughout Scripture. Children can disobey their parents. They can fail to honor them. But we can also disobey the other authorities God places in our lives. And there are many ways we do that besides outright disobedience. We can show contempt towards them. We can mock them. We can fail to respect them. All of them are rebellion. And since God establishes authority, ultimately that rebellion is rebellion against Him. But also, when we are given these positions of authority as superiors, we can gravely sin against those under our charge as well. Superiors sin against inferiors when they wield their power in such a way that it does not demonstrate that love and that kindness that they're supposed to display and exercise. And so instead of protecting and providing, they seek their own personal gain and glory and they lord over others in an abusive manner. You see, at heart, as fallen sinners, apart from the grace of God, we are all tyrants. We all seek our own way over and above others. Remember that the term honor has to do with weightiness. And those who hold these positions of authority are honored not because of who they are per se, but because of the weight of that position. And weight can be used for good. It can be used to lift up to help. But it can also be used to crush and destroy. Superiors must never crush inferiors through the abuse of the authority that God has granted to them. Now, there is much more we could look at in the Bible regarding our respective duties and sins, but in summary, what it comes down to, down to is that those of us who are under others, we show honor through obedience and respect. And for those of us that are over others, we show love and care and concern. But as we consider these duties and these sins of both these positions, one thing becomes apparently obvious. Once again, God's law is like a mirror held up into our face. 
And when we look at it, we see who we are. It confronts us with our humanity, with our fallenness as sinners. And what it shows us is this, is that we all want to rebel against God because we all want God's authority. And because we want God's authority, you know what we do? We will abuse the authority that God gives us over others, and we will rebel against the authorities He places over us because we want to be like God. And let's go back to, again, something we first considered, that this principle of authority from the creation of the world uh, has existed when God gave Adam and Eve authority over all the earth to rule it and to preserve it. But Satan's temptation comes to take of that forbidden fruit. And it was a temptation, among other things, to upset, to disrupt, to pull down that God-given order. And that is what they did when they sinned in the fall. And they did it as both superiors and inferiors. As superiors, our first parents abused the authority God had given them over all the earth by disregarding their duty, which was what? Protect the garden, protect the earth. But they did not. They brought sin and death and sorrow and suffering into this world by disregarding the needs of the earth over which God had given them dominion. And they sinned as inferiors by reaching for that authority that was not theirs to take and rebelling against God's command. And since that day, as as the descendants of Adam and Eve, born with sin natures, we sin in that very same way. We want God's authority, and so we will rebel against Him and against the authority He puts in our lives. And we want God's authority. So when we have authority, we will abuse it and treat others without love because we want to be gods over them. And our abuse and our rebellion leads us to sin, not just against God, but against each other as well. And so we break the fifth commandment. And breaking that commandment is a serious matter to God. So much so that as with the other commandments, the penalty of it is death. If you go to the civil law of Israel, this is how unrepentant violators of the fifth commandment were to be punished. Deuteronomy 21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, he will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton, a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Now thankfully, 
we don't live under the economy of ancient Israel. But God takes this fifth commandment so seriously that it deserves death. And that frightful reality of our sin against each other and against God is reflected to us in the fifth commandment as it confronts us with our guilt and the stain of our rebellion against God. So what are we to do? Well, we do what we do with all of our sins. We go to the Lamb. We go to Christ, the Christ of the commandments, where all the guiltiness and all the stains of our rebellion and abuse and neglect and failure to care, all of it is washed away by the blood of the sinless Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the promise that we find in the fifth commandment is this, that Jesus submitted himself to the Father uh, by going to the cross. So when we submit to him in faith, we receive the promised blessing of life that is contained in this fifth commandment. Consider, as we close here, Jesus' obedience. It was perfect obedience. He never sinned, even as a child growing up. He never rebelled against his parents. Luke 2.51 tells us that when he went to Nazareth with them, he was submissive to them. And even at the end of his life, we see him honoring his mother as he calls out to the disciple John to care for her as his own. And Jesus obeyed the civil authorities as well that were over him. Remember when Jesus uh, was given a coin and he was questioned about paying taxes to Caesar? What did he say? Render to God what is God and to Caesar what is Caesar. And even when, when Jesus stood before the Jewish Sanhedrin and Pontius Pilate in his trial and he was mocked and accused and belittled and falsely charged, he showed great respect towards those authorities that were abusing him and maligning him. And of course, Jesus, the Son of God, submitted himself to the will of the Heavenly Father and voluntarily going to the cross to redeem sinners like you and I from our sin. So in all of life and through his death and his resurrection for us, Jesus kept the fifth commandment and he kept it for you if you are united to him in faith. Jesus' obedience is what cancels out your disobedience and makes you right with God. And so how do we fulfill the fifth commandment then as God's people? Well, we fill it, fulfill it by submitting to King Jesus. He is our highest authority, and to Him we all owe all our honor and all our allegiance. And so we submit to Him through faith, by trusting Him, by resting in His finished work for us on Calvary's cross. When Paul rehearses this commandment, he says to children, Obey your parents in the Lord. And Peter instructs us to obey every human institution for the sake of the Lord. You see, it's all about Christ. Jesus changes everything. And as we submit to him as our king, we keep 
that fifth commandment. And when we do, God's promised blessing is graciously made real for us. At the end of that fifth commandment, in Exodus 20, what do you read there as far as a promise? Honor your father and your mother. Why? That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now that is a general promise to the people of Israel at that time that if they follow this commandment, things will go well in the land. They'll have a long life there. But in Jesus, this promise becomes something far greater. You see, this phrase, that your days may be well, uh, may be long in the land that the Lord is giving you, it is a Hebrew expression to declare the fullness of God's blessing over his people. It's meant that those in the covenant would enjoy God's mercy and goodness in the land forever the land of promise that he has declared for his people. And what is that land now? Well, it's moved far beyond the borders of Israel. That land is the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and it fills the entire earth. And it, one day, that will be complete. And all sin and all sorrow will be done away with as Christ the King returns and in the fullness of that kingdom, there will be not just long days, but everlasting days in the fullness of God's blessing. That is what is yours when you submit to Christ, your King. And so moms and dads that are in here as we close, just to speak to you. I know that it's difficult raising kids, and I know you probably look at your life and you say, you know, I am not doing this well. <laughs> look to Jesus, rest in Him, follow Him, and trust the Lord to work through you. Maybe you have adult children in your life. You're older and they're grown now. Maybe they've fallen away from the faith. And you feel like that is your failure. Look to Christ who can save them and redeem them and bring them back to his own. Kids that are in here, that's all of you guys. I see you're looking at me. At least your parents are telling you to look. Honor your mom and dad. Obey them in the Lord. Because your mom and dad want to show you Jesus. They want you to know him. So listen and learn and grow. If you have, if you're employed, you have a difficult boss, honor the position. Do your best for the Lord. Because we can submit to him as our king. And as we do, we know that this life will soon pass. And one day, we will enjoy the full blessing that God has promised us forever in His kingdom. And so let us keep the fifth commandment by honoring our King in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word and its truth this morning. We ask that You would build us up and lift us up that you would use it in a great and mighty way to encourage us. 
We pray that you would help us to honor Jesus as our King by submitting to him in faith, by looking to him as our only Lord and Savior who redeems us from all our sin. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.